Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to show 525. I'm your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Apologies if you can hear the hum in the background. Um, what can I say? I'm, I'm a bit mining. <laughs> so I've got. To, <laughs> I'll tell you all about it at the end of the show. But I've got this computer sitting on my desk, another one, and I haven't got a screen for it, so I can't adjust the fan settings at the moment. So it's noisy as anything. So, like I say, that's. I'll tell you a little bit of exploits about that. But that's what's coming in. I'll tell you what is the, the story and what's coming in today's show is the main fiction is. Home Sweet Biome by Pat McEwen, originally published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. And we have our very own Amy H. Sturgis with her February looking back a genre. History, no doubt. Yes, and Amy has settled down, and she said last night on the email, she's getting towards the last of the boxes of unpacking from this big move that she's done as well. So nice to have Amy's back in the fold there. So we are marching ever onwards towards our goal of 500 Patreon supporters there. And hey, it's doing very well. Man, thank you. And like I say, come over if it's just a pound, if it's just a dollar, if it's just a couple of dollars, you know, a little bit more for the other things, five or two dollars, whatever. Just come over. Let's see if we can get up to 500. That would be super cool. We were last week, we were 388. Guess what we are now? 395 whoa and a big thank you i'm going to read them out there and again 
my butchie and name. It's all part of the show. First up there, Paladin, Paladin Freelance. What a name, Paladin. That's just fantastic, man. That's the name I should have been instead of Tony Smith. Thank you so much, Paladin. Next up, big thank you to Jonathan Harrington. Jonathan, you are a starter. Big hug. And a little update of their pledge from Joseph Sovic. Big thank you, Joseph, for that. And Melanie Hopes. I hope you do, Melanie. Melanie, I bet you've had that. <laughs> I bet you've had that all your life. E Melanie, I hope you do, love. Yeah, I do. Thank you anyways, Melanie. And Matisse Pozar. Matthias, no, you see, you see, Matthias, ah, you nearly got us there. Matthias, Pozar, Pozar. Matthias, thank you so much for that. And Eric Jack, what a name as well. Eric Jack, are you making these up? <laughs> these just made it up ones. Eric, that's a super cool name as well, so thank you as well. What can I say? A big, huge thank you. Come over, if you've got a funky name, if you've got a normal name, do you know what I mean? Just come over, that would be fantastic. So, like you say, we are now standing at 395 towards our march of 500 Patreon supporters. That's fantastic. If you want to do that, don't forget, we have Bitcoin and Ethereum addresses as well, if you're into that funky way of donating. So, let's get into the main fiction. And like I say, it is Home Sweet Biome by Pat McEwen, originally published in, what I mentioned before, magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Pat McEwen is an anthropologist. She does independent research on genocide, having worked on war crimes investigations for the International Criminal Tribunal and did CS work for a decade in California. Oddly enough, she was once a marine biologist at the Institute of Marine and Coastal Studies at USC. She has two novels out, Rough Magic, a forensic urban fantasy, and Dragon's Kiss, a YA fantasy about a crippled boy who can talk to dragons. She writes mystery, horror, science fiction, and fantasy. Her hobbies include exploring cathedrals, alien building via non-human biology, and trawling through history books for all the juicy bits. <laughs> you know, Pat, we went to... Uh, oh, God, it's just too much for me. We went to Rome last year, and we went through... We did a, a tour of the Vatican, of the Vatican City. Uh, oh, it was too much for me. It was too long. We went in there about oh, 1 o'clock, one thirty, and the... But, you know, we took the long tour for whatever reason, and we didn't get spat out till about 8 o'clock that night. Oh, man, it was just... It was fantastic for the first couple of hours, but then it was just corridor after corridor of the same thing, man. Oh! So if you like churches, you will love the Vatican. Get yourself there. This story is narrated by Iba Amicus. Iba is an award-winning writer-director based in Los Angeles, available for audio and cinematic projects across the board. She has read for Starship Sova, Escape Pod, The Drabblecast, and Pseudopod, but still hasn't found the time to build a website and encourages listeners to shame her about it on Instagram or Twitter. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present... 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Home Sweet Biome by Pat McGowan. I woke up feeling itchy and started to scratch my face before I'd quite gotten my eyes open. Oh, no. As soon as I was conscious, I balled my hand up and made a fist. It's a trained reflex, one I've acquired through long practice. You can't scratch an itch with a fist. You can rub hard, but your knuckles don't set off the histamine complexes, making them worse than they already are. You won't tear open tender skin and start off all those nasty secondary infections. I sat up and balled the other fist. I was itching, all right. All over but I didn't have a rash. Wonder of wonders, when I took a look at myself, my skin was a nice, even pink everywhere. There were faint welts where I'd begun to scratch, but nothing more. What on earth? As I examined myself, the itch intensified. It traveled. Into my mouth, my ears, my... Well, never mind. Let's just say that all of my mucosal tissues were staging a riot, and for no apparent reason. Not knowing what else to do, I got up. Tea, I told myself. Chamomile. Or white. White tea is soothing, and there's nothing in it that sets me off. I get mine from a guy in Sri Lanka who grows the stuff without pesticides. He packs the tea in plain old-fashioned wax paper inside a tin. No plastics, no dyes or preservatives. No excess packaging covered with ink and shellac and God knows what else. I padded through the house careful to keep my hands off my hide. Just walking, however, set off a fresh round of itching, this time on the balls of my feet. Couldn't quite keep myself from doing a circular Sufi dance across the coarse black fur that serves as a carpet, letting the friction of skin against wiry hair turn the prickling heat into definite inflammation. The cold enameled tooth tiles on the kitchen floor calmed it down some, but there was no denying the fact that I was having some kind of allergic reaction. To what? There was no nylon in the house, no plastic of any kind, no paint, no fragrance, no synthetic anything. That's the whole point of a biome. Everything is totally organic and completely familiar to me, or at least to my immune system. 
Nervously, I checked my fingers. When I get the hives, it shows up first in my hands. I get ugly red blotches, what the doctors call eudicaria. Then my fingers swell up like stubby pink sausages. My lips, too. I start looking like an umbangi, except there's no clay saucer stretching my mouth out of shape. Just Odima. Good old Mother Nature. And when it gets bad, my throat closes up. Or I pass out. Then my throat closes up. Where had all my EpiPens gone? I reached out, grabbed the edge of the pouch underneath the nearest kitchen counter, and felt my fingers slide across half a dozen small hard bumps. Like Braille, only bigger. I looked down. The rash was an odd one, the bumps looking weirdly transparent and delicate rather than small, hard, and red. Whatever. It speckled half the cabinets, the walls, the ceiling, and most of the pouches I used for drawers. I spat. Son of a bug eater. It wasn't me that had the rash. It was my house. It took them five hours to send me an EMT. Three solid hours to find the clown, and another two to get his sorry ass up the mountain. You know how long that is when you're fighting a desperate need to scratch where it itches? Then, when he did show up, he didn't even have a truck. What he had was all these piercings and implants and crap. He had a low jack locked into his skull, right behind his left ear. Swear to God, the guy looked like a Borg who had mated with a mess of fishing tackle. Worse than that, he had a uniform on, a polyester mix. I could tell as soon as the tech climbed off his frickin' motorcycle. Worse than that, even. Aftershave. Oh my god. One whiff, and my throat closed up. Not that he noticed. The goof came rambling up to my front door, just like some demented encyclopedia salesman. All smiling, eyebrow-be-ringed and happy-faced. I met him with a loaded crossbow. Seeing that, he stopped dead. Both hands flew up, aerating armpits awash with some kind of deodorant. Fresh scent, extra dry, something or other. I started wheezing, fell to my knees, and found myself aiming the point directly in front of me, which happened to be at his crotch. He definitely noticed that. Hey, take it easy. He turned his hips sideways, acting like he didn't know he'd just threatened my life. Don't you come any closer, I gasped. I won't, but you you called for a tech, right? I stared up at him over the length of the quarrel. You're it? Where's Chen? Or Fredo? Or Sela? I got a sheepish smile this time, along with a shrug. All the regular guys are tied up. If you want to wait. No, I can't. Okay, then. He gathered up some confidence and pulled out a business card, which I did not even think of accepting. After a moment's embarrassment, he let his hand drop. He introduced himself. I'm Ray Fox. R-E-Y, short for Raynard. It's kind of a joke. See, my mom was French. My crossbow wobbled a bit, but I did my best to keep it centered on his private parts while I checked his company ID card. Raynard, indeed. Fox Fox? I couldn't help asking, though I didn't have much air to spare. The doofus nodded, his smile spreading out like my getting the stupid joke made everything okay between us. You see the signs? I demanded. Hack, wheeze. Uh, signs? I rolled my eyes, 
which were nearly as itchy as everything else. The no trespassing signs, I have them posted all over the place. Oh, uh, I didn't look. On the bike, I get kind of, well... He gave me that same silly shrug again. Curvy mountain roads and me, I kind of get into it. Great. Just great. Well, what about your work order? Didn't that say anything? About what? Oh, Lord. I started coughing up a lung. I guess it sounded pretty bad. He peered at me, and in the process, he took a step nearer. I nearly shot him, right then and there. About hyperallergic syndrome, I wheezed as soon as the coughing jag eased up. Waving the point of the quarrel at three of the signs, I read them for him. Do not approach if you are wearing any kind of perfume or fragrance. No plastic. No nylon. His dark eyes flickered back and forth. Why do you think I live up here on the mountain? I asked him. Why do you think I bought a biome? You idiot! I'm allergic to practically everything. But I... You're wearing plastic, I told him. If I let you into my house, if I touch your shirt, I could go into anaphylactic shock. Pant wheeze. I could die. His mouth fell open. His lower lip flapped in the breeze amid a faint jangle of the six chromed rings looping around its middle reaches. All that stink on you? Good God, I am that close to choking on that shit alone. From here. What on earth were you thinking? He shook his head, the lower lip still flapping. They, uh, said it was an emergency? It is, you moron. Just look at my house. Only then did I let go of the crossbow with one hand, and wave at the pink skin slash wall behind me, the rosy expanse that would normally be turning golden green this time of year, as the sunshine of early spring spurred tanning, as well as some serious photosynthetic power generation. Instead, the whole eastern side was covered with spots. I could barely restrain myself from reaching out to touch them, to rub them, to scratch. Again, he took a step forward. I brought the crossbow back up to bear on his family jewels. He raised a hand, Indian powwow style, but he didn't say how. Instead, he quietly told me, Ma'am, I need a closer look. Ma'am, that made me feel older than shit, on top of everything else. But I was the one who'd yelled for help, wasn't I? Sourly, congested, and starting to wheeze again, I backed off and closed the door. Then I watched through the corneal window set into it, while Raynard the fox peered and poked at my wall, while he fetched a small med kit out of the bike's saddlebags and took swabs off the affected surfaces, while he stuck a giant hypodermic into my siding. That gave me a twinge, so I turned away rather than watch him take his biopsy samples. When he was done, he knocked on the door and backed away a careful ten paces. How long will it take? I demanded as soon as I'd opened the door, still on the defensive, although I had left the crossbow sitting on the kitchen table. I'm not done. I need to see what's going on on the inside. The hell you say. He won, of course. But he also went back to the bike and pulled on a clean suit. 
a pure white cotton and silk blend with breathing apparatus, a full hood, gloves, and booties. The outfit he should have been wearing before he came anywhere near me. Grudgingly, still trying hard not to inhale when a breeze wafted past him, I let Fox enter. By now, the whole living room, ceiling and walls and a patch of floor, was adorned with the rash. The inflamed bit of flooring intrigued him the most. He stroked the wiry black hair with a gloved hand and smiled when nearly half of the room developed goosebumps in response. Living carpet, he said. That's so cool. But it's not scalp hair, is it? Too dark. He glanced up at my dirty blonde mane. I was already breathless and frozen in place by my own sudden onslaught of goose flesh. But then, catching up with his question, I flushed a hot scarlet that would have put a full-blown case of strep A to shame. Wheezing, wide-eyed, I sputtered, No, no, it's, um, pubic? It stands up better to, uh, wear and tear. To my surprise, he did not bust a gut over that one. Just nodded at me, looking owlish. Yeah, that makes sense, as long as your hair growth is dense enough. Density, I thought, just might be the problem here, but not with the carpet. Is that itching too, he asked, pointing to a hair-free, slightly swollen strip of bare floor that served as a threshold, a lip between the inner and outer surfaces of the house. Just Thinking about it set off a furious prickling in the corresponding reaches of my anatomy. Yes, I snapped, forbidding my hands to go anywhere near the relevant body part. What is it, and why is it making me itch? I don't have a freaking rash. A sympathetic reaction. Your nervous system is picking up on the symptoms affecting your better half. My what? The house. I planted my fist on my hips. I think you'd better explain yourself, mister. I am not married to this house. He grinned. Oh no, your relationship is way closer than that. Then, as he took in my unhappy reaction, he sobered up. Look, you do know that this house was grown from your own stem cells, right? I nodded. We had to tweak the growth and development genes pretty hard. But underneath all that, the house is your twin. The DNA is the same. The nervous system, all the same. So, yeah, there have been some cases where biomes and their uh, sources have turned out to be a little too um, simpatico. That was not disclosed, I told him. Not when I bought mine. Well, there's still a big hairy argument. Uh, he broke off, flushing, trying real hard not to look at the carpet while his brain caught up with his mouth. Uh, begging your pardon, ma'am, no pun intended. <laughs> Impatience swept over me like a tidal wave. Get on with it, I nearly shouted. What argument? Um, well, about whether the side effects are, uh, real or psychosomatic. I glared at him, then barely managed to whisper the word I was so stinking mad. Psychosomatic? He nodded, bobbing his head up and down like a 50s-style hula girl off somebody's dashboard. Are you aware that hyperallergic syndrome has itself been called psychosomatic? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, after all, you people do have a lot of neuroses. It was like watching a train wreck in slow motion. Him realizing what he was about to say, and yet not quite able to stop himself. You people, I repeated, feeling dangerous. Neuroses. I didn't mean it like that, he said. Didn't you? Listen, I think you'd better leave. He didn't argue, just gathered up all of his stuff and walked out the door. I slammed it behind him through the lock and went to check on my supply of oatmeal soup. A soothing bath might calm my skin down enough to let me think. I was lolling in the tub, enjoying some blessed relief from the itching while I used a deep breathing exercise to try and get my lungs back under control. I was just getting into the zone when I heard a knock on the front door. For Christ's sake, he'd only been gone half an hour. So now what? Pulling on a robe, I padded out to the foyer to confront Fox. Yes? I inquired. He just stood there, staring at me while his faceplate steamed up. What? Uh, whoops. I hadn't bothered to towel off all the oatmeal. The robe was stuck to me here and there. I pulled it tighter, which was the wrong thing to do. Made his eyes bug out. I snapped my fingers in front of his faceplate. Hey, Fox, what do you want? Ma'am, if I tell you that, I'm afraid you're going to shoot me. Which is as close to a compliment as I've had in the last seven years up here on the mountain. Yeah, so I glanced at the crossbow. I'll admit that, but just for a second. Then I sighed. I promise I will not shoot you, okay? Bozo nodded, but needed another half minute or so to get back to the point. Um, sorry to bother you. Which you did because... Oh, I, uh, I got a prelim diagnosis on the house. And he had to yank his gaze upward to meet my eyes, but he managed it. It's not an allergy. Okay, what is it then? Well, uh, listen, I took a look at the specs of this house. You may remember that Biome had to alter the house's immune system. I nodded. Yeah, so it wouldn't react so strongly to all the things that make me sick. That's right. They, uh, we had to selectively cripple the antigen recognition system so that it wouldn't react to, well, all sorts of things. Especially the man-made stuff. Plastics and paints and perfumes, insecticides. Of course, I said. Getting a little impatient, I do admit. I mean, the man was standing there in a silk and cotton moon suit, just so that he wouldn't set me off. Well, that meant reducing the immunities that you'd already acquired to certain natural biological hazards. What are you talking about, I demanded. Has my house been poisoned? Technically, no, Raynard answered. Then what the devil is wrong? The house is infected. What? I stared at him. He mostly stared at the floor. Despite the faceplate, I could see how red he was. 
like he was sick. Infected with what? Raynard flicked a glance upward, then fled my gaze again. At first, I thought it might be a herpes virus. Herpes? He jumped when I hit high C. But I just couldn't help it. I screeched at the man. Are you trying to tell me that my house has a social disease? My house has never had sex. Uh, I, well, I wouldn't be too sure of that, answered Raynard. But, um, that's not exactly the virus I'm talking about. Huh? But a thin shred of memory fled through my mind. What I thought was a dream. Erotic, sensual. Surely that hadn't been real. Paralyzed by a sudden suspicion that my house might have more of a social life than I did, I glared at Raynard. I spoke softly for fear of cutting my own throat with the razor's edge of anger slicing at me from the inside out. So what are you talking about? Varicilla Zoster? Zoster? I'd heard that before, but I couldn't quite make it click. Vera, what? It's a childhood disease. Used to be. Hardly anyone gets it these days because most kids are immunized. Most kids, I repeated, arms akimbo. I found myself leaning forward. With reckless daring, I went right on leaning, ignoring the fact that my robe had flapped open. In fact, I took a giant step closer before I demanded, What about houses? Raynard licks it. What about houses? Raynard licked his lips. We, uh, we didn't think there'd be any need. The odds against exposure up here. Right. Exposure to what? Then the Latin words clicked. Somewhere deep down in my memory. Oh, no. I backed off again, staring at him. I threw wild glances at every wall. Every pale, red-speckled, minutely blistered wall. Dewdrop on a rose petal. That's how my mother's medical books had described the rash. I rounded on Raynard. My house has chicken pox? He shrugged again. There's a, a blood test we can run to make sure. I shook my head, willing my hands to stay put on my hips, to remain fisted. I would not give in, not to the itchiness or to the need to slap the living shit out of the so-called tech-aid. Don't bother, just treat it. Well, I, uh... Honest to God, I can't take much more of this, I told him, squirming. The oatmeal solution on my skin was drying up. My bathrobe was stuck to the stuff, so my every move tugged at it, making everything itch all the more. Do something, I pleaded. I can't. But the only treatment available is an antiviral, a cycliver, but it has to be started within the first 24 hours after exposure. Three or four days ago, it might have done you some good, but it's too late now. Too late. The White Hood nodded. The virus has already multiplied. It's everywhere. All we can do now is... 
Oh, God. I whimpered and sat down, right there on the floor. The furry rug and my behind were both so inflamed, I began to rotate, pushing myself around in a circle with all four hands and feet. The wiry fur did a wonderful job of scrubbing my arse, but didn't help one bit overall. The resulting friction just made the house and me itch even more. I began to weep. Go away, will you? Just go away. Ever so quietly, he did. When he was gone, I made myself get up again. I could hardly walk for the need to bend over and scratch the floor with my fingernails. But that could only make things worse, so I tottered towards the lavatory, randomly raking the walls as I went, intending to dive right back into my warm oatmeal bath. Never made it, though. Whoop! 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 The freaking house alarm went off. It scared me half to death. I fell over, then rolled around on the carpet, as that set off more of my skin, and I tried in vain to scratch everything at once. What with the frenzied boogaloo going on, I didn't realize what had happened, not till I noticed the flashing lights. Oh, boy. The whole friggin' wall screen had lit up, the background crimson, the space taken up by a single word. Quarantine! It was a notice from the health department, putting me and mine under a full quarantine for ten days. As if I could leave. I goggled. I crawled towards it. I slapped at buttons and entered the reset codes, and then SISOP codes, and got nowhere. My house's smart net was no longer mine to command. The country had taken control of it. Of everything. Swearing, I got up all over again and staggered towards the front door. That little son of a bitch. The nerve. I flung the front door open, groping for my crossbow as whiffets of cold air threw last year's leaves in my face. I peered through the fingers of one hand, trying to take aim, intending to plant one in his tiny hiney, but I stopped when I saw even more flashing lights on my front gate. On his bike, too. His hazard lights were flashing, and so were his headlights. Likewise, something on his bike's handlebars pulsed in a lurid scarlet. Then, his horn started beeping. He bent over, staring at some kind of screen on the bike, oblivious to me and my outrage. Then, ripping his clean-suit helmet off, he flung it down. He swore at the bike, ran three steps forward, and kicked the helmet a full forty yards down the driveway. Bad idea. As the helmet sailed past the gate, more flashing lights appeared. Warning, the house cried. Perimeter armed. Do not pass posted limits. This house is now under quarantine. As if to underline the point, a red laser beam hit the helmet. It flew ten more feet down the drive and sat there staring back at us, a smoking hole dead center in the faceplate. What the? Fox started towards it, but stopped when I yelled at him. Don't. It'll shoot you. He turned, glared at me in disbelief, looked at the hole again, and demanded, What kind of burglar alarm does that? Excessive, of course. 
but that's what I had to have. Look, I'm all alone up here, I tried to explain. And people, they don't read the signs. Or they think it's a gingerbread house and they try to cut chunks off. I'd caught some picnickers back in October attempting to barbecue one of my red window shutters. For lunch, the fucking cannibals. Well, shut it off. I can't. His face darkened, matching the lowering sky behind him. Look, lady, I gotta get the fuck out of here. I've got a date tonight. You think this was my idea? Rather than answering me, he slung his leg over the bike and attempted to start it up. When the ignition key failed him, he used his boot to flip out the bar on one side of the motor. He tried to kickstart the machine. My God, did he think a crotch rocket could outrun a laser? No go in any case. I heard a voice, not his, from his bike, from the console. Don't know what it told him, but he began swearing all over again, only louder this time. Then he jumped off the bike, kicked the front tire, and snarled as the bike shuddered once and the kickstand gave way. Ever so slowly, it fell onto one side. Oh boy, I had to weigh, what, 500 pounds? Apparently, he'd run out of cuss words. He fell silent. His shoulders sagged. Eventually, he turned to face me. They say they disabled the bike. I'm fucking stuck here. Which would have pissed me off even more if he weren't quite so hangdog about it. I stared at him, not even itching for one blessed moment. What? He gazed at the ground. He licked his lip rings. They, uh, they say they don't know yet if this is the same strain as regular chicken pox, so they're worried I'm going to catch it. Or give it to somebody else. So I have to be quarantined too. I rolled my eyes towards the swiftly darkening sky. Well, shit, oh dear. I am so freaking sorry to hear that. Best of luck, Fox. I turned back towards the house. Hey! I stopped. What am I supposed to do now? How should I know? I demanded. Go put up a pup tent or something. Lady! I don't have a freaking tent. I don't have any camping gear. And look at that sky. There's an effing storm blowing in. I'll freeze to death out here. If I let you bring all that inside... I made a squiggly hand gesture meant to encompass the whole of his sartorial splendor. I'll die. You can't come back inside unless you're wearing a clean suit. We both cast a glance at his ruined helmet, now well beyond our reach, even if it had been intact. In the end, we compromised. Well, that's my word for it. He had another one I won't mention here. I did let him in. But first, I made him shuck the clean suit altogether. Then, all his clothes and jewelry. Then, all his implants. When he was done, he stood there, using his hands to cover up all the empty jacks instead of his groin. Apparently, he felt more naked without the machinery than he did without his clothes. I was firm, however, refusing to turn my back on him until he'd bundled it all up and stashed it in one of his bike's saddlebags. He made even more noise when I threw a bar of soap his way and made him scrub down with it on the spot, twice, with me squirting him with the hose. Well, it was pretty cold, I suppose. But what was I going to do? 
Let him walk right in wearing hair gel and aftershave? The body wash? Antiperspirant? And whatever the doofus had used to turn his pubic hair pink and purple? If I could, I'd have made him take off the tattoos as well. He had two of the new interactive types, with the glowing colors that swirled when he touched them. The one on his chest, a mandala, spun with his every breath. Since it was sealed in by his epidermis, however, I'd have to flay him to get it off. A tempting thought, I'll admit. Or maybe I could get him to skin me. Anything to stop the itching. While I fought for self-control, he dove through the front door. I followed, having to fight the wind just to close the door again. There really was a storm blowing in. Once inside, Fox didn't seem to know what to do. That made two of us. I edged my way past him, tossed him a couple of all-cotton towels, then dug out an old shirt and pants made of unbleached madras. The stretchy stuff. He was only an inch or two taller than me, and slender too, so I thought they'd fit well enough for the moment. The house, thank God, was running a slight fever anyway, giving us both a good chance to warm up. I spent the next two hours yelling at people and getting nowhere. The county would not bend an inch, and the company barely responded at all. Even when their man, Fox, called them, they didn't have time to chat. They were up to their corporate necks in what was clearly an epidemic. Unless I needed acute care, meaning hospitalization, they weren't letting either of us out of there. By the time I gave up, I was hoarse from shouting and coughing again. I didn't hear the whoop whoop outside right away. Fox did. What's that? he asked. A helicopter. It hovered about 40 feet off the ground, whipping snowflakes into my eyes as I tried to get them to land. They weren't having it. Instead, in silence, except for the noise of the chopper's engines and rotors, they lowered a cargo net full of five-gallon buckets. Then they simply released the net, winched up the cable, and left again. What the? Where are they going? I yelled at Fox. He shrugged and shivered. The wind had a real bite to it by then, so we grabbed a bucket and lugged it indoors. The canister was metal and a bitch to pry open. When we did, I shared a puzzled look with my uninvited guest. Pepto-bismol? Then the odor reached me. I backed away, beginning to panic before I recognized the smell. Not Pepto. Calamine lotion. The net, when we looked, had some all-organic paintbrushes, rollers, trays, and extension handles stuffed into the meshwork, too. We hauled it all inside and got busy. The calamine lotion worked wonders. I can't really use it on myself because I react to one of the chemicals in it, but the house didn't mind. Anyway, I was careful to wear gloves and slippers. I let Fox paint the ceilings, too, not wanting the stuff to drip into my hair or face. It was still quite a job. The house had four major rooms, a laundry and a bathroom, and we had to paint it all. Everything but the tile work. You have any idea how much calamine lotion that takes? By the time we were done, it was late. I was wiped. I guess Fox was too. So, uh, where do I sleep? He inquired. The couch was more of a love seat, and not long enough to accommodate him. Besides, we'd been forced to paint that too, and both of the armchairs, since they'd all developed a rash. I wasn't about to suggest he try sleeping on the floor, either. 
nestled in my pubic hair? I don't think so. But if we were going to be stuck together for several days, then I'd have to do something. All things considered, it was sure to be something well outside my comfort zone. Get over it, I told myself. That didn't make it easy. Well, uh, there's my room, I stammered. You can come take a look. Given my behavior earlier with the crossbow, I guess he had a right to look askance at me, to wonder about my hesitation. So I bit my lip and led him towards the one room I'd painted all by myself. As we went, I reminded him. Uh, as you've seen, the furniture is all part of the house. So pretty much everything here is me. He nodded as he glanced through the arching doorway. Then he froze and, frankly, gaped. I knew what he was looking at. The beds. A pair of rounded mounds. Each had a single dark brown cushion at one end that rose about six inches higher than everything else if you stroked them a little. Softly wrinkled, the pillowy masses were circled by smooth brown areolas, and there was simply no mistaking what part of the body they'd been derived from. To give him credit for having some sense, he didn't comment on that. Instead, he inquired, No blankets? I've never needed them, I said. Which was true. The beds were as warm as my own skin. They were my own skin. Normally, I didn't bother with PJs either. Tonight, I decided, was different. I'd sleep in my clothes. I dug out a comforter for him, and we both more or less collapsed. I woke in the dark, still exhausted, not quite certain what had roused me. Then I heard it. A slurping sound of muffled contentment. Sitting up, I peered at my unwanted roommate. He was sleeping peacefully, sprawled on the other bed. His head had slipped off the cushion, however, and he'd wrapped an arm around it. In his sleep, he nuzzled it. As I watched, the nippy pillow grew firmer, rising, and so did its counterpart on my own bed, on my chest. It's hard to describe the sensation. Electric, yet ghostly. Unlike anything I'd felt before, I found myself stretching out, reaching out, longing for something that I couldn't name. But even that much motion set off my skin. I wasn't used to wearing clothes at night. They clung to me, the wrinkles leaving welts, rasping at my neck and my shoulders and hips, and I couldn't help wriggling my arms around myself and digging in. Pretty soon, I was a ball of misery, tears rolling down my face. Every part of me that I could reach lay next to a part that I couldn't. I was so freaking miserable. I didn't even know I was whimpering. I never heard him get up either. He was just suddenly there, beside me. I sobbed. I can't stand it. I dug in again, but he stopped me. Easy now, he murmured and called up the room lights. He slowly forced my hands down into my lap. He lifted my face, 
frowning as he caught sight of the multiple tracheotomy scars on my throat. He rubbed one thumb across them. Then he got behind me and began rubbing my back, my shoulders, my hips. And when the cloth got in his way, he eased the shirt off me and worked on my bare skin. It wasn't the kind of massage you get at a spa, like I was a loaf of bread being kneaded. This was more like being stroked, over and over again. He did it just hard enough to move blood through my skin, but without any hard edges. Slowly, the itching subsided, becoming a layer of heat, as if the whole outmost inch of me was slowly combusting. Laying me down, he continued his work, down each arm and leg, and back up again. You have such beautiful skin, he said, breathing the words on my bare shoulder. Beautiful. Yeah, sure. As long as I stay clear of plastic, I whispered. Last time I wore rayon, I looked like a leper for most of a week. And Rick, well, Rick seemed to think he would catch it. When I reacted to his aftershave as well, I shuddered, trying to shake off the memory. History, I told myself. Fox didn't notice. He was too busy caressing the sensitive skin at the base of my spine, where tiny hairs had begun to tremble. So long, I thought, since anyone had touched me. I sat up, turning to face him. He smiled. He'd taken off his borrowed shirt somewhere along the way. His mandala glowed, gently spinning. His hands kept on moving, caressing my thighs. I looked down at the tent in his borrowed trousers. Rub me all over, I insisted. The next time I woke, it was nearly dawn. I felt human. I lay on my side, and the warmth at my back wasn't Welts. It was Fox. His body spooned around mine. He was snoring each breath ever so faintly stirring the hair at the nape of my neck. I marveled, refusing to move. I wanted that moment to last. It might have to, the way things were going. My desensitization treatments had all failed. Unless and until something new came through, I'd be living like this for the rest of my life. At least I wasn't allergic to him. I smiled. With Ray, it was like betting a virgin. I guess he was so used to having the piercings, the implants and such. Well, for one thing, he had to be careful. Those things can tear his skin off. But when he had to do without them, it seemed to throw him off his rhythm. His tentative moves were incredibly gentle, however, and I couldn't help but respond in kind. His attitude, too, was sweet. He was almost childlike about his discoveries. Laying there, I started to feel vaguely guilty about the whole thing, as if I were somehow taking advantage of him and his innocence. It was a disturbing thought. It was interrupted by a tickle, then a sneeze, then another. Monster sneezes. I wound up on the floor, with Ray's arm around me as I convulsed, again and again. As my Mexican yaya would say, que romantico. What is it? You need something? Cortisone? 
Hun, do you have an inhaler? He was in full panic mode, ready to start mouth to mouth. Is it... is it me? I shook my head. No. I was wheezing a bit, but it wasn't because of congestion, which it would have been if this was a chemical thing. It was more of a physical prickling, way up inside my nose somewhere. I blew my nose, hard, and got no relief at all. That's when I remembered my skin itching so badly, all on account of the biome's infection. What was happening this time, and where? We found a good 18 inches of snow on the ground when we tumbled out the front door. No fair. The snow should have been rain this late in the season. The drifts had nearly buried Ray's bike, though the sky above us was perfectly clear by then. In the east, I could see the dawn's light edging the Sierra Nevada with an ethereal white lacework of fresh powder. Beautiful. Almost beyond words. Until, that is, something fluttered right into my face, grabbing at me with tiny claws. I flailed at it, knocking the thing off my nose. Then another one came at me. What were they? Owls? Bugs? I snatched up Ray's discarded, now frozen towels, and swung them at the pesky creatures, trying to keep them at bay. Not so, Ray. He climbed up the porch railing, peering at the roof lines as more of them fluttered around the house. What are they? I whispered, half afraid I'd draw them my way again if I spoke any louder. I could hear faint squeaking as it was, like tiny fingernails on a blackboard. Stay there, answered Ray. What? He swung off the porch and climbed up the access ladder built into the siding. That took him up to a vent near the roof, a triangular opening into the attic space. Like so much of the house, the vent resembled its organ of origin, my nose. While I watched, the small fluttering forms flew at it. They folded up into smaller shapes as they reached its nostrils. Then they vanished altogether. Scritch, scritch. Achoo! I sneezed so hard, I blew one of the little airborne devils backwards by nearly a yard. That finally scared the little buggers off. They veered away from me and joined their fellows upstairs. Ray climbed back down again. He was grinning. I demanded, aloud this time, What? He laughed. Not exactly at me, but I still didn't take it well. Love, he said, you've got bats in your belfry. Your sinuses, anyway. I didn't buy it at first, but when daylight arrived, Ray went back up the ladder and opened the vent screen. He reached inside and plucked one of them off its roost. When he brought it back down, I was startled to see just how small it was, bodily. With the wings all folded up, it was mouse size. A baby mouse. See the chipmunk stripes down its back, Ray said. That's not a natural species. It's a new bat. They're gene-engineered, like the house. They've had some human alleles added so they're resistant to white nose fungus and rabies too. Replacement for what's gone extinct. But what is it doing here? He grinned. My guess is that they found a nice, warm, comfy cave in the attic that literally smells like them, like home. You have a whole colony of them, Ray told me. It's easy to fix, though. All you need is screens with a smaller mesh size. I nodded, thinking dire thoughts about bat guano. No wonder my sinuses felt so congested all the time, in spite of me living up here. Then revelation dawned. 
How human are they? I asked Ray. Could they catch other viruses? Like, say, chickenpox? The company rep tried to poo-poo the notion, but Ray sent in bat samples using a sterilized trap-slash-container they lowered down the same way as the calamine lotion. A couple days later, there was no doubt. My bats had the chickenpox all right, and new bats were clearly the vector that had spread it throughout almost all of the biomes in Northern California. That led to the mass eviction of new bats by means of a saline sinus wash and some speedier replacements of natural filters with metal jobs, at least until they could tweak the biome's phenotypes. The new bats, too, for all I know. In another week's time, the rash faded away, healing almost as rapidly as it had bloomed. I reveled in my relief from both itching and sinus congestion. My major concern by then was the fast-approaching end to our quarantine. Ray couldn't wait for a chance at a steak dinner. I couldn't quite make myself say farewell. When the day came, though, he seemed reluctant to go. It's been interesting, he told me. I never imagined, he started to say, but then stopped, blushing so furiously, his mandala's colors began to fade in comparison. Haven't you ever done it? On natural? I asked gently. He frowned. Slowly, thoughtfully, he said, I got my first piercing when I was twelve. My first implant? He shut himself off, then said simply, No. So I gave him a rueful smile. You know those things are only meant to help people when they have problems or when they want to synchronize things exactly, for a treat. But two normal, wholly organic and natural people don't need enhancement. They don't really need anything but each other, and my petite sermon was cut short by Ray's lips, attaching themselves to my earlobe. When we came back up for air, an hour later, he told me, you shouldn't be so alone up here. All I could do was shrug. What about online support groups? Ray asked. I shrugged again. Who needs them? What, do they make it all better? Make everything go away? Make things like they were before? No, but whining about it is useless, I blurted, unable to shut off the tap once the seal was cracked. I've dealt with it, okay? I've got my biome. I've rebuilt my life. Now I've got to get on with it. I've just got to go on. I fell silent, but not from exhaustion. I was suddenly, acutely aware of how empty my biome was. There were no bowling trophies, no Niagara Falls souvenirs, no clutter of toys, no family photos hung on my soft pink walls. Well, why look at what you can't have? I demanded, but self wasn't fooled for a moment. The walls and the rooms and the shelves were all empty of everything I'd walked away from. To save yourself, I told me, sharply. Yeah, right, Self answered. You're saving yourself for what? Ray stroked my hair. Do you, do you think you'd mind a visitor? You know, probably just on weekends or 
holidays, I couldn't. I answered him with a kiss. By the time all new business was concluded, I'd offered to build him a bathhouse outside the biome with heaters and hot water, towels and slippers, and pure cotton clothes he could wear in the house, if he wanted to wear anything at all. He laughed. I think I'd better take it one step at a time. I couldn't agree more, though I didn't say so. All choked up, I simply clung to him. Finally, though, we sealed the deal with one last lingering smooch. Then I had to let him go. It should have been a simple matter of opening the front door. But it wasn't. The knob fought back. So I tried again. No go. I took a step backward and finally noticed the bright salmon pink flush adorning the wall. An odd distortion on either side of the door jamb made the whole wall panel curve outward. Bulge, in fact. Cautiously, I reached out and traced the curve of the right side with my fingertips. Hot. Fever hot. Sore, too. I could feel it, an unpleasant ache tickle on either side of my own throat. Oh, no. I turned and stared at Raynard. He queried the smart net. Didn't take long. A good thing, since I'd just about quit breathing under an onslaught of sympathy symptoms. He shook his head and gave me this sad, sheepish sort of smile. I, um, I can't be sure, but it looks like the house might... What, I demanded. What is it this time? Ray waved at the swollen door glands. He shrugged helplessly. Mumps. Oh. My. God. Wow, there you go, Pat. What can I say? Thank you so much. Oh, an honour. Thank you indeed. And, Eba, it's just lovely to have you back on there. Eba, your voice is just a dream. Thank you. So... Ames has finally settled down. She's she's got internet back up and running there. She's got her mic plugged in, and we've got a February looking back at genre history. Ames, hello, my friends. It is time for another look back into genre history. I have successfully made my move from North Carolina to Kentucky in the United States. I am now in the bluegrass region. And I am ready to get back to recording my Looking Back segments. So here we are. A bit has happened since I was last here. And sadly, one of the most important of the loss of Ursula K. Le Guin. There is absolutely no way I can do justice to one of the most important writers in science fiction in the 20th century, 21st century, in the history of science fiction. She won the Hugo Award, the Nebula Award, the Locus Award, and World Fantasy Award, each more than once, a grandmaster of science fiction, and in 2014, the winner of the National Book Foundation Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters. What can I possibly say about Ursula K. Le Guin that hasn't been said better by someone else in beautiful obituaries and tributes and homages to her. 
So I would encourage you to go and read as many of those as possible. We'll be feeling this loss for a long time. If you can't tell, I haven't quite wrapped my brain around this yet. So that's all I'm going to say on the subject just now. But I do have a topic for us today, and that is a 2017 book I would recommend called Scientific Romance, an International Anthology of Pioneering Science Fiction. And it is introduced and edited by Brian Stableford. Stableford, uh, sometimes credited as Brian M. Stableford, is a science fiction author with more than 70 books to his credit, also a translator of science fiction. In 1979, he received a PhD with a doctoral thesis on the sociology of science fiction. He was a lecturer in sociology at the University of Reading until 1988, and since then he's been a full-time writer. Guess you have to do that if you're going to have over 70 novels. And also a part-time lecturer at several universities, dealing with creative writing and those sorts of topics. In other words, a very able introducer and editor for this collection. In what is a very useful introduction, Stableford explains the purpose of the volume. That is to explore three distinct flavors, flavors from the United States, United Kingdom, and France, of scientific romance, which he defines as the imaginative literature inspired by the advancement of science. Does this sound like science fiction? Before we had the term science fiction, it certainly does. And he points out that authors like Jules Verne and H.G. Wells are at the heart of scientific romance. But that said, he says, um, there are distinctions that can be drawn. And here I will read a brief segment from the introduction. Contemporary readers who can hardly help seeing the genre as an ancestor of science fiction will inevitably be struck by the difference between the two genres, one of which is particularly conspicuous. The influence that science fiction took from scientific romance was broad, but it had a focus on four works in particular, Verne's From the Earth to the Moon and Around the Moon, and Wells's The War of the Worlds and The First Men in the Moon. Although very popular, these works were not typical of the genre of scientific romance, and had only a limited influence within it, but they became the most important foundation stones and models of science fiction. The most enthusiastic and inventive recruits to the new genre soon gave great prominence to the notion that space travel would be a central element of the future development of civilized societies." He goes on to say that the notion of a space age the inevitability of turning our eyes to the stars was distinctly brought about by U.S. rocket research, by particularly the genre of the Western and the notion of the untamed frontier, what will be the new frontier. And he says, quote, Europe did not have such a ready-made attraction to the mythology of an impending space age, end quote. So he says that the French scientific romances and British scientific romances were much more likely to imagine earthbound potential futures. That's a a restriction of attention that he connects specifically to scientific romances. And for the purposes of this anthology, anyway, I see the usefulness and application of this premise. So at any rate, 
after the introduction, then、uh, looking at U.S., U.K. and French scientific romances, the book opens into twenty-seven examples of short stories and poems that reflect the scientific romance aesthetic. Beginning with Edgar Allan Poe's *The Conversation of Eros and Charmian*, and ending with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's *The Horror of the Heights*, then the book closes with a very helpful contribution: a chronology of the most important longer works of scientific romance published between 1830 and August 1914. What I like most about this collection is that while there are some of the usual suspects I've just mentioned too, Poe and Conan Doyle, and H. G. Wells himself makes an appearance here, there are quite a few works that will be new to many readers, certainly lesser known,、uh, particularly those that are French that are appearing here in translation for English readers, and these twenty-seven works. Work very well together. The ideas bounce off of each other quite well, and Stableford provides useful introductions to help put these works in context. So, why don't I give you an example? One of the stories included is "The End of the World" by Eugène Mouton. He lived from 1823 to 1902.、Uh, grew up in Guadeloupe. And among the other cool things he did, besides being a writer of fantastic fiction, he helped to create one of the first mobile libraries in France. So, hero material as far as I'm concerned. He wrote under the pen name Merino, or Merinos, as it looks to an English reader like me, and. His story, "The End of the World," is kind of a case study in works getting more and more relevant as they age. It was originally published in 1872, and as Stapleford says, it is remarkable in being one of the earliest satires to depict the end of the world as an accidental side effect of human activity. The fact that it imagines the disaster unfolding as a result of global warming occasioned by the burning of fossil fuels. Allowed it to reacquire an ironic topicality more than a hundred years after it was written, ensuring that its satire bites harder today than ever. End quote. And yes, this is a very interesting read. Good story and great translation. I thought I would share just a little excerpt from it here, toward the end of the story, not the very ending. Lines, but、uh, but very close to the end. I thought they were quite powerful. Then comes the final day. They are no more than thirty-seven, wandering like tinder specters in the midst of a frightful population of mummies, which gaze at them with eyes reminiscent of Corinthian grapes, and they take one another by the hand. And commence a furious round dance, and with each rotation, one of the dancers stumbles and falls down dead with a dry sound. And when the thirty-sixth cycle is over, the survivor remains alone in front of the miserable heap in which the last debris of the human race is assembled. He darts one last glance at the earth. He says goodbye to it on behalf of all of us, and a tear falls from his poor scorched eyes. Humankind's last tear. He catches it in his hand, drinks it, and dies, gazing at the heavens. Poof! 
A little blue flame rises up tremulously, then two, then three, then a thousand. The entire globe catches fire, burns momentarily, and goes out. It is all over. The earth is dead. Powerful stuff, am I right? So, I would recommend checking out this collection. Again, that is Brian Stableford's Scientific Romance, an International Anthology of Pioneering Science Fiction. It focuses on works from the U.S., U.K., and France, and it is published by Dover Publications. Very much worth reading. And speaking of international, by the way, one of my goals for some of the upcoming Looking Back segments is to focus more on world SF outside of just Western SF. So uh, be listening for that. I hope that's of interest to you. But for now, I recommend Scientific Romance, and I look forward to joining you again soon with another Look Back on genre history. Thank you. A big thank you, Amy. And I haven't listened to Amy's look, and she could put anything in there, because I only got it yesterday. So I'm going to go out for a nice walk there now and have a listen with yourselves along to Amy with a look and back at genre history. Ames, thank you so much. So that is today's show. Before we go, like I say, I just mentioned uh, Bitcoin. Well, you know, last week I mentioned we got some kind of Bitcoin addresses, and I got all excited about it. And it's something that I've, I've never kind of, you know, getting a handle on or getting to know anything about it. So I did a little bit of research and a little bit more and a little bit more. And now I'm bit minded. <laughs> the secret is, it's not to get a computer that's massively, massively like gaming computer. Yeah, you've got to have a big graphics card, but all the other stuff can be as cheap as chips. So that's actually... I don't think the, I don't think Melanie likes it sitting right there. That is next to my on my desk, and it's a computer that I, I built it myself, man. Hey, honestly, you know when you I did it and I put it all together, and I was thinking this isn't going to work because I've never done anything like that before. You know what I mean? I'm not that kind of technically minded, and you know when you put the switch to the power and you think if I press this button, you're just going to get this kind of you know like and it, do dead. It just all booted up. It was just like, yeah, did it, did it. So, so the idea is, what happens is, this computer cost me, or this kind of case and a few instances, cost about £150. That's a computer, apart from the graphics card. That's what I spent on this computer. And it's got like an old processor from donkeys ago. I've got one four gigabyte of ram in there it's as cheap as chips to put together but for christmas reed wanted a new graphics card that was his main present a new graphics card so we got the old one when we can with the shop put it in for we got the old see i got the shop to do that i didn't dare myself so there was an old graphics card lying around and i thought you know and i was doing this research i thought well if I can just put that in there, you know, and build one. I've been watching a few YouTube videos. So, I did it. And like I say, I plugged it in yesterday. In 24, about 27 hours, I've made, minus the electricity, because you've got to kind of factor all that in. And it does it all on this. There's a company called Nice Hash. if you're interested in doing that. You can go over there and actually just find your graphics card, because that's what does the mining. Find your graphics card. 
and it'll tell you how much you'll make in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, you know what I mean? Your prices go up and down. That's the kind of the Bitcoin side of it. But you're still digging away there and getting that. You know, so I put my graphics card in and something like 50, 50 pound, 50, 60 pound, 61 pound a, a month. And I was like, yeah. So hence why... I've got this big beast in it. Mind you, the cases, the, these gaming PCs. You know, I've, honestly, I've had this this Mac here now for about or oh, eight years, I would say, and it just sits there and just ticks over. But this thing next to it, it's just a beast, and it like see, so you can change the fan settings, but I haven't got a monitor for it yet. So, so every time, well, what I'm doing, I'm wait. I bought a second-hand monitor, eighteen pound. <laughs> oh, I honestly, you can spend like. £800 on a monitor. That's what you can spend. I spent £18. £18 eBay. It's free delivery. Free. It's probably them green, all green screens. So I can't really change any settings because I've got it set up. And to get it set up and running, you know what I mean? I had to bring it like a spare TV down, find a HDMI cable off an Amazon TV box. I had to, oh, it was just... So I've just got it set up running there because I didn't want to look tight as anything. I didn't want to, like, waste money, you know what I mean? If it's not switched on, it's not making money. So, yeah, if you're interested, have a look over at Nice Hash. Put your graphics card in. I don't think... Well, you can't do it on Macs. That's what I've learned. You can't do it if you're Macs, if you're laptops, stuff like that. I don't think... Maybe if you've got a gaming laptop, I'm not too sure, but... We'll see, you know, have a look. Anyways, that's the exploits... It's, it feels science fiction. Truthfully, that's why I'm doing it. So, anyway, there we go. That's today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I don't get out much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning into your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets, pointing them to the moon. But the work is going slowly. It won't get to you anytime soon. Can you? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I want to talk to you. This signal's going light speed. By the time I get my say, I might already be on to you and on my way. But you're so far from here. Best I move slow, so I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go. Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you.
I'd be on my way. If I could cast myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.